Hello, and welcome to the JewishBoston.com podcast. This is Jen Marmer and our host. Do you want to say your name? Uh, I'm, my name is Jesse Ulrich. <laughs> We're here with episode 14 of the JewishBoston.com podcast. We're really excited. We have two fabulous guests for you today talking about social innovation. We have Harris Rollinger of CJP Young Adults, who you've heard on the podcast before, and we also have Katie Greenman. We will introduce you to them in a little bit. To the theme song. We are here with Katie Greenman, founder of Human Side, and our colleague at CJP, Harris Rollinger, who you've heard on and off the air as my stand-in co-host sometimes. We're really excited to be here today talking about social innovation and social impact and all of those fun social words. All the buzzwords. All, yes, the, buzzwords. all the buzzwords. We're all talking the buzzwords. about them here and right now. This is an episode about what these buzzwords mean. So definitions and yes, everything. Yes. Clarification. Yeah. What is a buzzword? No. Right. Um, so Katie, uh, we're really excited to have you here on the podcast with us today. We'll get to talking to Harris in a little bit. We've heard from him time and again. Um, but Kate, so what is Human Side? Absolutely. Glad to be here and excited to be included. Um, so Human Side is the company that I started about a year and a half ago. I had just left. I was in a doctorate program studying human development specifically around like social and emotional well-being within the context of leadership culture, basically like the anti-burnout studies. Nice. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I really enjoyed it, but also found that like went into research thinking like, okay, clearly there's some human suffering and we don't have the answers, so I'm going to figure this out. Uh, and a lot has been figured out. So I ended up leaving and then starting this company, which is intentional around like we, there's a lot of research, a lot of wisdom. Uh, and a lot of need to translate some important conversations. So that's what Human Side is all about. I work on it with a lot of different projects, facilitating and designing programs that are specific around like creating spaces where we have the conversations or build the tools or create you know the, the community and the safe spaces so that we are better humans. And my website is literally like the human side of us because I feel like a lot of the dialogue we're having is very outward focused, but we don't slow down enough to actually look at how it affects us and our interactions and the power that we have as individuals sounds super vague because it is we'll get to do it more but that's the that's gist. amazing yeah. i love that over art yeah the, the highlight i took from that was that you have you have uh fixed human suffering that's what i, that's uh, what yep. I got there uh, thank you nice. thank you for noticing so, you should yes. share that with people All human problem. yeah yep. that's kind of important how do you go from where you started from to where you are now like what like you obviously you, you took a sort of a vague large problem and then tried to focus it down yep like most people in social innovation, right? We're very mission-oriented, so that's how that's where I tend to talk. It's like, here's what I want to create for the world. But what I'm actually doing, to clarify, is working with the four different projects right now, at least. All of them are around leadership development. So one of them is with the city of Boston, working on creating programs that's going to engage young adults because we are not as engaged as we could be. Uh, and that's the City Awake program that Harris and I share and work on together in different capacities. And then... There's another one where we use storytelling as a tool to build empathy, both in like college and corporate cultures. So it's a lot about like taking, you know how when there's corporate trainings, it can be a very heady conversation. Like, here is why emotional intelligence is important. Let me list out the five pillars of emotional intelligence. Right. And you walk away being like, I've got definitions and nothing has changed. 
So I love facilitating for the reason that we make these conversations. It's not a cerebral thing. It's an experiential learning. It's actually looking at how this affects your life. Uh, And it's creating these programs where you go through it, and at the end of it, you're like, oh, wait, I understand what this actually means for me and how, like, in the next five minutes, I can actually change my behaviors because I understand what we're talking about, why it's important, and how my interactions have been limited with the way I walk in the world. So you work with a variety of different companies and organizations, Mm -hmm. both both, uh, professional and, like, through nonprofits or... obviously the government with the city of Boston. Very cool. Mm -hmm. Um, When when this all started, so you were in school and then you kind of like pulled out to kind of take this on full time. Mm -hmm. Do you work as a staff of yourself, me, myself, and I? (laughs) Yes, fortunately. So I am very much an extrovert and thrive in teams. So I have made the the business model of the moment is I get to work in teams within other companies. And so the four companies that I work with right now, all of whom are incredible human beings, and that's how I found them. It was very much a okay, here's what you're out to do. Here's why I believe in what you're out to do. Here's how I want to help. Can I help you, please? And the answer, thankfully, was yes. So I'm in. I'm part of a team as an external contractor. So you get to come in, shake things up, and then leave. Uh, but I haven't left anyone, and I don't know if I ever will. So there's that. <laughs> That's I, amazing. I'm never the person to break up. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> oh, that sounds so sad. <laughs> <laughs> totally acceptable so there's this idea of social innovation social change social right all the social things um of going in shaking things up and did you ever see yourself ending up in this world of like wanting to create change it is such a broad topic and we've talked about it i know harris mm-hmm. and i sit near each other in the office and we talk about this all the time of what really is it why how do you kind of find your way and stumble your way into this world of right change making and how did you like besides going to school and feeling inspired was there something in you that you always felt like this was going to be a path you kind of found yourself on or yeah so it's interesting because Harris and I talk a lot about like the stigma around millennials for example uh, and how we are apparently weirdos and disruptors but that's not actually that's never how I identified it's I Mm -hmm. grew up in the Florida Keys so in a very small island and a very small culture and the opportunities weren't there so the muscle of like okay, I'm bored, what do I want to do? I want to do something good, so I create it, is the muscle I grew up with just by nature of where I was raised. Uh, And so that's how I still operate in the world. So I've never gone full-time, long-term within a company except for like a summer internship because that's just not, that's not a muscle I have. What I have is like if I see something that I struggle with or I'm passionate about, I'm like, oh, okay, here's something I want to create with it, and then you just do it. And that's how I feel like a lot of the colleagues that I work with, at least, it's similar. It's not so much of me, like, bashing on all the current systems that be, although I do have issues with some stuff. But it's more... (laughs) Don't we all? Yeah, right? It's more of, like, there's 7 billion variations of humans. There's tons of opportunities. So I'm just going to make one and see if there's some momentum there. And thankfully, a lot of them do have momentum. Can we, uh, I think, I think we should, this is the time we should define some terms so that sure. our listeners, <laughs> our listeners. Give those definitions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> who, listeners like my mother-in-law who don't necessarily know what social innovation might mean or, and what disruption dictates. Like, let's cover some of these because Harris and I have also had conversations about the fact that there are all these terms and a lot of them are, might, might be similar and a lot of them might be unnecessarily vague. Right. So. Should we start should we start from the top? Sure. So this was actually uh, part of my project when I was on the Millennial Trains project, which we'll get to in a little bit. And I'm, Katie and I have talked about this. I think I've talked about this with all of you. But um, social innovation, social entrepreneurship, systems thinking, social change, social mm-hmm. impact, what does it all mean? All the buzzwords. All the buzzwords. <laughs> Basically, the way that I, like, I'm not going to get super into the nitty gritty because there are academic papers and everything if people want to follow up. But 
social innovation and social entrepreneurship is basically bringing a for business approach or a market based approach, if you want to get super technical, to nonprofit or societal challenges. So, like Tom Shoes is the most basic social enterprise, their two for one model. Um, but it's also this social innovation, social entrepreneurship, all these buzzwords, they mean everything and nothing all at the same time, which is definitely one of the more frustrating things about the field at this point, um, in that everyone is now trying to be a social entrepreneur and claiming that they are one. Um, and what that means is that people are just running businesses that try and create social impact. But that's not necessarily what a social entrepreneur is. Um, the definitions vary across whoever you talk to. I'm always very curious to hear what other people have to say, so I'll kind of let Katie give her two cents in terms of what she, her perception of her analysis. Um, yeah, so very similar, right? It's all, and I agree, there's like definitions upon definitions to, to clarify, but with social, so social enterprises and social innovation are kind of seen when they're focused around the individual or an organization. Basically, like there's a business model behind it. Uh, and or not social innovation, excuse me, social enterprises and social entrepreneurship. The idea being like, I'm gonna make a business, I'm gonna make some money, but I'm gonna make sure I'm doing good with that business model as well. And that's those two, whereas social innovation is is taking back from that a little bit. It's less focused on the business model and more focused on the ideas. So like, if you are a social innovator, it doesn't mean you're making millions of dollars selling great shoes and also giving them to other people who need shoes. It means that you are just trying to perpetuate ideas and good people and conversations. And the other thing that I think about that is like the big clarification for me is when I was doing some of these interviews in different cities um, was that someone put it very eloquently, it's that where the impact drives the profits and not the profits drive the impact. So in order for you to make money, you actually have to increase the amount of impact you're having and that will increase the amount of money that you make. Mm -hmm. And that's the definition of a true social enterprise. So it's like capitalistic altruism. Yes, okay. I like that. Well, because like I was another just, buzzword. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> define. I mean, we, please. We, we can Webster. Have, we, can have, we can have philosophical conversations about whether like altruism actually exists. Like you know the mm -hmm. no attachment doing of good deeds. Like I don't care if people feel good by doing good things for other people. I think that's fine. Like mm -hmm. there shouldn't be anything wrong with that. But it's I'm gonna transition here slightly because I'm as you guys were talking, I want to what was coming to me was the idea that. For a lot of times, there are already organizations and entities doing something that is either very close to what you want to work on or are doing it sort of maybe, maybe in a different way. And so the question becomes, do you start another thing that will compete with them or yeah. you try to work with them? Like, what's the obviously it's going to change for every different thing. But I imagine this is something that has come up. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say that, um, take Massachusetts, for example, there was an article in The Globe like a couple months back about, our, the headline was, are there too many nonprofits in Boston? The answer I, is yes. The answer, <laughs> yes. according to Jesse, is yes. Um, I think that um, there are a lot of people who want to start things and for a variety of reasons, and whether it's you know, because they think that their model is better or because like they really have an innovative approach and they're crafting, they're like, owning a niche market, whatever it might be, a lot of people want to start things when in reality a lot of those things already exist. Um, I'm hopeful that what we'll likely see is that people will become more conscious of that and try and merge or propose being a contractor or an intrapreneur. Mm -hmm. Buzzword. Is another, which is another buzzword, which is essentially someone with an entrepreneurial mindset or spirit who is creating change within an existing system. Right. I like to think of myself as one of those. Call me crazy. Um, I try and change systems that I work in and don't necessarily start my own things. But I think that 
um, there is a like I think that the notion of an entrepreneur has been like is really sexy to a lot of people and has been glorified by different books and it's like oh you could have a real job or mm-hmm. you could start something really weird um, that you think is good um, but in reality will is just awful um, and I think I speak for Katie and myself when I say that we have both seen a lot of that examples please no <laughs> <laughs> oh god yeah. um but i think like the thing is is that like at the same time i give those people credit for trying because they have the the guts and the vision and the willingness to fail and i mean failure is one of those things that i think people talk a lot about but don't actually understand what it's like to put your heart and soul into something mm-hmm. and in addition to your own resources um because most entrepreneur startups are self-funded or through friends and family and when you put all that on the line and then you ultimately I think it's like less than 25% of startups are successful, however you want to define success. And when you do that and then you fail and then you have to start over or just give up and go to a nine to five job, it's really hard. So even for the people who have those totally off the wall ideas that ultimately don't go anywhere, I have incredible respect for. Mm-hmm. I, I swear like my, uh, my, my Flipboard, like every six months shows me an article, I think it's from Wired or something about how like the, the next Facebook or Amazon is, is, is probably around right now, but also failing. Like right. it's not the the market for certain things is more saturated than it used to be, and so you might have the perfect idea and be launching it in the perfect place and have the perfect idea. It still might not work. Right. Like, so. what is it? Ninety nine percent of all entrepreneurs fail, and it's you have to. It has to hit a certain amount of time before you know it's actually sustainable and going to last a while. Uh, an entrepreneur might be around for ten years, building out their idea and like getting more funding, and then after the ten year mark, they realize like I've been relying on donors. I didn't. I never made it sustainable, and so I'm out. Uh, And that can be really disheartening. Yeah, they say you're supposed to split up funding like into thirds in terms of how you're getting it. But um, that's one of the things like you take a look at even something like MySpace had all this money behind it. And I'm fairly certain that Justin Timberlake is like. Yes, he he is. It's still you know what? The funny thing about MySpace is that it it was reborn as like a musician's platform. and It's actually doing okay. Like it's not a social network. Like it's not something that people go to, but apparently it's a way like like um, musicians share music with each other. Yeah, it's a thing. Really? Hello, oh, side yeah. tangent with cool yeah. info. No, I did not. <laughs> yeah. It's still around. I never, had, I never even had a MySpace. <laughs> Me yeah. either. Was I like, did. Cool I did, but I never checked it. Yeah. yeah. So suck it, Friendster. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, like, anyway. J- Justin Timberlake spent a couple million dollars like buying parts of MySpace. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's like that's what happens now more than ever, which is that it's it's not even so much like people do come up with in, with incredible ideas. Like I think Uber for our generation is going to be one of those things, and someone will. That, that essentially just revolutionized the public transportation system mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. or the ride sharing is like now a completely new market. Right. Um, whereas no one had really thought to upset that market. It's not a social enterprise by any means, but it is something that has, I guess, a social benefit. Um, but then you look at things like MySpace where Facebook kind of built on top of MySpace and a lot of entrepreneurship is not necessarily tackling or killing one thing, but it's building off of one another until you come to this new realization or this new venture or program or idea, and that's mm-hmm. entrepreneurial, is a lot of things are just kind of stepping stones. Yeah, and my, like one of the theories I have about it, and which is why I have compassion for like this day and age, is we're still trying to figure out this access that we ha- now have to the entire world, and we've got like Kickstarter, so if you have an idea, you see people like all of a sudden explode it into a reality. And we're at this point where we're all trying to figure out how to navigate this, where like I see billions of ideas. I also see billions of possibilities. I'm therefore paralyzed because I don't know where to go with all this information. And I think, you know, our kids, if we choose to have any, or like the next generation is gonna be the one to try and take, because we're in like expansion mode of look at this land and how we can explore Mm -hmm. it. Here's technology and all this opportunity. We, I don't think, have figured out how to avoid the silos or just 
Like we're going outward. We haven't figured out how to reach out to each other's hands and figured out how to collaborate a little better. Like even myself, I feel lucky that I'm working within teams that exist. But you're right. Like, you know, I don't I don't want to perpetuate a system that isn't working. And by system, I mean like I don't want to just – I don't want to be a silo and try something and help 100 people whereas someone down the road is doing a much better job and I could have just worked with them. But I also don't know how to find them yet. Yeah. I think what, what Katie's talking about is one of these, again, another buzzword. What? Um, <laughs> is this term collect- started tallying. I know we're just yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm going to add a sort of like ding. Every, every time. Every time we have a buzzword. Yeah. Ding. Buzzword hurts. Um, it's collective impact, which is what happens when we work together, share resources. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm a big believer in this. I actually think that this really is the way forward. There's a lot to be said for competition. And I think that there needs to be, that needs to stay. But I think what, what I see a lot in Boston, which I, I love about the city, is especially amongst, like, for example, the co-working space market is where a lot of these owners of co-working spaces will, like, someone will say, I want to come use your space. And they say, well, what's your mission of your organization? What do you need? If they're not a great fit, <coughs> excuse me, they will kind of tell them to check out a certain space and will send an, an email that introduces them to the owner of another space because they think they'll, they'll be a better fit. Um, I think that like obviously they're competitive amongst one another. They're competing for the same resources, for the same individuals, the same customers. But at the same time, they're also very aware of their own limitations and what they can and cannot accomplish. Mm-hmm. And by doing that, they're able to achieve, help each other achieve their missions, which I think is incredibly important. And we see a lot of nonprofits starting to do that. I think CJP's young adult work is very similar in that we've got over 60 active young adult organizations. How do we all march together in terms of maximizing our impact to create a really healthy ecosystem of Mm -hmm. Jewish engagement for people who are between the ages of 22 and 45. I think there's a very interesting um, shift as like more social impact things have been coming forward and as everybody is more accepting of this idea of these people kind of shaking things up, shaking up the norm, not necessarily creating the new, but shaking up Mm -hmm. the normal systems that we've had in place forever. And I think information sharing is a huge piece of that is this information sharing is a very it's more fluid than it's ever been, and not only because of the internet being in existence, but because people see the benefit in building off of one another and moving things forward, I think, both in the Jewish world and the non-Jewish world is a huge thing. Mm-hmm. And um, like Harris was saying, a lot of those organizations, Harris and I work very closely with directly on the young adult team here at CJP, and we see such a benefit in moving people through the systems of different organizations not everyone's going to fit with every single organization and how people are moving and sharing information and how people are finding where they truly want to make their impact I think is a really beautiful thing that's kind of come out of this these crazy millennials Mm -hmm. um, kind of pushing the buttons on what was the norm and what was pretty stagnant totally and the acceptance of like I felt like I had to fit in into a box that somebody else designed and now it's like oh wait individualization is now cool so I want to find a box where I feel like I thrive right and I can expand that box right and and (laughs) if someone had told me what I'd be doing today when I was in high school and I was like oh I'm gonna you know be a psychologist I would have been like wait what the hell is entrepreneurship (laughs) what the hell is like design thinking and social impact like this wasn't a class right Um, and I think that for our generation, obviously, like there's a lot of stereotypes going around that, like, oh, like you know, they don't work hard, or oh, they expect things to be given to us, or if they don't like the job, that it's going to create it. Well, well, yeah. I mean, Katie's a great example of someone who's is action oriented and has said, no, I know exactly what I want to do right now, so I'm going to go off and do it, and is doing incredibly well, and is working with these incredible organizations. Why, why not do that if you have the 
edu- if you're able to do that, it's right. not about education, mm-hmm. but if you have the wherewithal and you're a go-getter and someone who's willing to start something, why not create the job that you love? I mean, yeah. that's also uh, generations don't exist. Like <laughs> people need to stop talking about them as actual identifiable groups of people because right. absolutely, it's, it's an impossible thing to define. And every generation complains about the generation that came before it or that comes after it as being lazy and things handed to them and blah blah blah. I'm like, stop it. All right, yeah. right. Stop yeah, it. I think as more. I had this conversation right. <laughs> uh, on Millennial Trans Project, which was that we need to s- stop thinking about these in terms of specific age demographics. It's all about mindset. So, yeah. like, someone who's 60 can have a millennial mindset. I mean, there are plenty of older entrepreneurs. Like, I look at Steve Jobs and um, even Bill Gates. Uh, these guys are were revolutionary and forward thinking. They have the go-getter like startup mindset that a lot of people my age don't even have and there are people that across age demographics whether they're 12 or 80 who have specific mindsets and that's how we break people up i think that we just do it so that we can make sense of things and we can market and message and yada 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 and we also like systems and structure but at the end of the day like lines yeah to jess's point (laughs) yeah i mean like there is like you can take any group of people born between any set of years and try to draw you know evidence from that but you're not going to get like it, it doesn't it's not a scientific term right. so let's you know i was born in 1981 okay uh but technically i was supposed to graduate in 1999 like i held back a year so I graduated in 2000 am i a millennial no i don't <laughs> think i am but in this weird generational thing where i was born between 79 and 80 whatever i'm like i have nothing in common like i have very what little do they common define with a millennial as what years Depends who you're talking to. Yeah. I know. That's I'm 19, another problem. That's 1980 another problem. to 1995. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then it's like, okay, we're going to include the kids who are now born in the 2000s. Right. Yeah. Like, like, I have very, like, I had a very different experience growing up than someone who was born in 1991, just like one decade ahead of me. Right. Like, they probably don't even remember, I, I barely remember a time pre internet where I have a very distinct memory of seeing my first computer and my first cable modem, uh, my first d- dial up modem, and then my second dial up modem, and then my third dial up modem, slowly getting faster <laughs> and faster. I remember it Yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. So anyway, I have, I have a thing about gener- gen- generation, so we'll, we'll move on. But they're the worst. You were supported right. in that. Yeah. Thing. But speaking of millennials, um, yes. Harris, why don't you tell us, we've mentioned Millennial Trains Project yeah. a couple of times. Why don't you give us a quick overview of what this project is, kind of what you did on it, and what was so inspiring about the trip? And how you can change their name. <laughs> <laughs> sure. So Millennial Trains Project is this possibly one of the coolest things I've ever done in my entire life. Um, it is a cross-country train trip on a 1950s vintage rail car where 26 social entrepreneurs, disruptors, entrepreneurs, grad students, whoever, um, who all have ideas and passion to try and change the world, um, have to crowdfund their way on board to participate in this cross-country train journey where you go through a leadership development and personal growth uh, experience that's led by some of the most amazing people and you go across the country. So the, the places that you stop each year differ. So for me, I went from L.A., to San Francisco, to Denver, to Milwaukee, to Detroit, all over the course of about nine or 10 days. And you eat on the train, you sleep on the train, you shower on the train. And let me tell you, when you're showering at like 60 or 70 miles an hour, it is a wild ride. Um, (laughs) But um, it was one of the most impactful experiences I've ever had. And um, for me, what I was looking at is my project really evolved in that it started out by really trying to better understand how different cities and communities were supporting these ecosystems of social entrepreneurship or social innovation. And what it really became about was, we talked about this at the first session and I don't think any of us really bought into it, 
was the whole notion of it's as much about the inner journey as it is about the outer journey. And I know that sounds super meta and I apologize for everyone who's already like, here's another millennial going off on this, all this crap. But at the end of the day, what really happened for me was I learned more about where my passions and interests lie and how, and how I can lend my passion and skills to actually create that change as opposed to it being about the project. We put, we were all feeling uh, something that we call the imposter syndrome, which is where you just don't feel like you're good enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and regardless of how accomplished any of us were on this trip, which ranged from someone who just appeared on MSNBC, like their inventor show where they got $20,000 in funding and are bringing clean water to Africa, to someone like me who was studying just how these communities are developing, to ed tech startups, to how to increase the amount of public art in mid-sized cities. Regardless of what we were all doing, we all felt the imposter syndrome, which was both really interesting, exciting, and sad. Um, And at the end of the day, I think what I took most from it was how much hard work and hustle it takes to get something done, but also that while especially since millennial trains happened, that while the world might be looking different for the next couple of years, that there are some really incredible people like Katie, um, like my friends on the millennial trains project, um, who are so dedicated to making change, but in a positive way, people who are relentless, who wake up every day and dedicate every hour of the day to making sure that whether it's a vulnerable population or uh, a community is stronger, they take care of business. Um, and to have that community and that supportive network is unlike anything I've ever experienced in my life. So let me let me ask you this. So say you see that there's an issue you care about. Say like for me, like civil rights. Like um, like I, you know, again, being raised uh, by liberal Jewish parents in Oklahoma has given me a very interesting sense of what issues are important, what issues are not important. But protecting minorities has always been important to me. So say I'm like, okay, I want to you know, do something to help that population? Like where, 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 where would you suggest people start? It's a really good question. Um, I think that, so like, let's say that you, the, I guess the theme that you just proposed, um, I think the first thing that you can do is if you know someone who works in that field or is to t- start talking to them, the best thing that you can do is start asking questions. Again, something I learned from Millennial Trans Project and is that we all have to be asking better questions, both of ourselves and of the world around us. And I think that for people who do have access to the internet, um, the best thing you can do is to use Google. It sounds so stupid, I know, but there the are Google machine. Google is, is, is like, like it's a six letter word. It, it, it's the most powerful tool that mm-hmm. people underutilize right now in terms of gaining access to information, organizations. Um, I, I think it's incredible. So the first thing I would do is kind of, if you were interested in donating, let's say, is I think one of the most powerful things that people can do, um, whether it's $5, $100, or $1,000, um, is just typing in your search term. So interested in organizations that support minorities in greater Boston. Mm-hmm. And immediately your search engine will be filled with pages upon pages upon pages of national and local organizations. It really depends what you want to get involved with. From there, generally those organizations will have opportunities to volunteer. You can click their donate page. If you really are interested in kind of where the money is going, you can talk to someone at the organization to find out how much funds overhead, where does money go. You can access their 990 forms, which tells you like essentially all of their financial history um, if they're a nonprofit organization. It's really, I think that to Katie's point with the work that she does around human side is that we've forgotten um, both how easy it is to 
form a connection with an individual and organization because we expect things to be done for us, the effort that it takes to research an organization and actually make a difference is very minimal. And I think the people forget that, is that it's so easy to say no to things. I'd like to think of that movie Yes Man with Jim Carrey, <laughs> because I love Jim Carrey. Mm-hmm. Who doesn't? Um, but I think of that movie a lot. Um, because like, for instance, the way that I got involved with City Awake was it was pouring rain outside and they were having their first general and like volunteer interest meeting. It was pouring rain. It was around, the meeting was around the corner and I like wanted to go, but at the same time I was like, oh, it's raining. I just want to go home, like put sweatpants on, eat some soup, watch a movie. And I was like, no, I am going to go. I'm going to say yes. Walked around the corner and being a part of City Awake has changed my life to the point that got me on board Millennial Trains Project. It's how I met Katie. It's the reason that I get to work with millennials in Boston and try and make them more civically and socially engaged in our community. And if I hadn't gone to that meeting, I likely wouldn't have gone to another one. And it was all because I said yes to just a simple five minute walk across the street. Um, it's so easy to have an impact. We just, you just have to opt in. Um, you have to lean in, step in, whatever terminology you want to use. Um, but I think it really starts with just doing your research, finding what you're, what you care about. But I honestly think, and I've had this conversation with Katie, which is that it starts with just asking yourself, what am I passionate about? What do I want to give my time or my money to, my time, talent, or treasure? And then going from there, um, how much time of your week do you want to allocate towards volunteering or passion projects or whatever? Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's hard, but it's also a lot easier than people think to take that first step. And once you take one step, you take a second step and a third step. And before you know it, you're like chair of the board of volunteers at the ACLU and you're mm-hmm. giving, you're protesting or you're, you know, you're going to a food bank or, or you're starting your own, or you're starting business. Your own <laughs> business. I mean, I think what Katie is doing has tremendous social impact and like around, especially the social beings project in dear world. I don't know if you want to talk about either of those, but like I fangirl hard over Katie. <laughs> Not only is she one of my close friends, but I also admire the work that she does. I think that it's it's really remarkable. I don't know if you want to talk about it a little bit. Uh, Yeah, I'm happy to. And I just on your point though of like how to you know if you care about civil rights, I think another piece that's kind of missing right now is there's like and with imposter syndrome, right? There's a lot of people who aren't taking action because they're like, I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't know enough. Uh, And we are in this work because we really care. And Mm -hmm. so if you care about like and with Black Lives Matter, right? There's a lot of white people who are afraid to even start the conversation because they don't want to out themselves as racist or like have a question or embarrass themselves. But that's why we're having the conversation. And so like normalizing that curiosity that it's just, it's like okay to show up and just ask and be look stupid because we're all going to look stupid and then we all grow together. Um, but I think that's questions a big are so important. Exactly. They are, it, and they're so fine. Exactly. Ask. I think we, the message in school of, you know, if, if you have a question, odds are that someone else has the same question. Yeah. It doesn't stop outside of the classroom it's in the professional workplace it's in society you have to raise your hand decisions are made by those who show up yeah Mm -hmm. Um, i I, I always remember my teacher saying that you know there are no stupid questions and me always scoffing at that because i was a cynical little brat (laughs) uh but it was true because the the people who asked questions that i was like ugh, like how do you not know that they were they were trying to learn and i shouldn't have been scoffing at that Mm -hmm. such a little no i I mean i completely agree and before katie speaks a little bit again i think what we've all not necessarily lost, but one of the hardest things to practice is this is empathy, mm-hmm. um, is putting ourselves in the shoes of someone else. And really like, again, human centered design is another buzzword. You can check it out. Um, exactly. Um, but look it up whole, on Bing. <laughs> Bing. But the whole notion of like really thinking about the user mm-hmm. and the people and how just because like I am obviously a, like I'm, very privileged to have a full-time job, to be able to afford rent. I, 
I can do basically whatever. I'm very privileged and I'm very conscious of my privilege. But to like think about putting yourself in someone else's shoes, especially when you work in social impact or nonprofits, I think that's where it all starts is you really have to like take a step back and think about not just other people, but just practice some empathy. Mm-hmm. It's 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 hard, but there are ways to to really make sure that you're I guess staying woke as as the kids <laughs> say. <laughs> Yeah, and actually it's an, it is a segue to one of the projects that I work on is Dear World, like you're writing a letter to the planet, not the agriculture company. Um, <laughs> and what we do is with this empathy project I mentioned, so we'll travel around and we use portraits as a segue into your story. And so we have people and ask them to write a message on their skin that's a piece and a window into your story. Not so much like be the change because it's Gandhi's words, but more of like a moment. <laughs> Those are taken. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, he did that. You find yours. Um, but more of like finding a message on your skin that's a window into who you are and what we're finding. So I do this a lot on college campuses and corporate if they if they want it. But like in the college space, especially, right, you are young, you are curious, you're exploring yourself in these themes of being human. And that's like the basis of human side, right, is we want to normalize the human condition. And these themes that one, imposter syndrome, right, an easy thing, but also like sexual assault or mental illness or feeling marginalized because of an identity like all of these pieces of being human are the things that are standing in the way of us working together. And the more that we raise awareness to them, the, the less that we are plagued by them. Uh, and I think that's a really important piece that we forget. It's like, oh, wait, I'm, I'm, you're really not alone. Like you really aren't alone. And the more that as much as you might be attached to that feeling of like, I am alone, I am special. Yes, you can be special, but you can also still not be alone in that specialness um, and trying to change that paradigm a little bit is really important. Very cool. That's funny. That reminds me of a conversation I had with a friend of mine uh, who is not Jewish. And we were just talking about issues. And, you know, we differ slightly, but you sort of agree in the middle area. And he noticed that I kept switching between my Jewish identity and my white identity. Because mm. in, my, in my mind, they are separate. And so sometimes I, I look at things through um, the lens of being a religious minority. And then sometimes I'm confused because I am technically part of the, you know, power majority of that mm-hmm. being white men um and he was like he's like whenever you want to feel when you want to be a minority would you want to be marginalized because that gave you like an enemy to attack i would refer to my judaism and then when i was trying to tell other people what to do i'd be talking from my whiteness uh mm. and i mean that that the what you were just talking about sort of reminded me of the fact that we all have multiple identities we're attaching ourselves to and we have multiple issues we're working with and so asking the question, opening yourself up to learning new information is incredibly important no matter who you are. Mm-hmm. Totally. And how cool is that self-awareness? Because now you have this huge tool that you get to use. Absolutely. Right. And I think, you know, for me, it's kind of like both the identity, but also that identity is a process um, mm-hmm. that we're expect. Like, I, for me, I always used to laugh. Like, I remember... Obviously, like we all remember when we were applying for schools and people were like, well, what do you want to study? You'd be like, God, I'm 17. How about, like, how this, is I, so this is so scary and overwhelming. This is so stressful. How am I supposed to know? But then like you graduate college, it's like, so what do you want to do with your life? Like, how are you supposed to know? Like, our identities are constantly evolving and changing and what I do today will be different than what I do tomorrow mm-hmm. or the next day. And I think, again, thinking about millennial trains, like I went in there with a project trying to figure out like how communities are support, supporting social innovation and, and civic innovation and ecosystem development and whatever. And that stuff is important. But more than anything, what it taught me was that, like, again, my life and, and my career and my passions were more of the project than what I crowdfunded for than anything else. Um, and what it really taught me is that 
oftentimes we stand in our own way in terms of creating the the job that we want. And so many people want their professional life and their personal life to merge because it's it, they want to to practice what they preach and to be the best version of themselves. And for those nine or 10 days, I was surrounded by 26 people who were all looking for the same thing, which is just to be the best version of themselves and trying mm-hmm. to solve whatever challenge or improve, not even solve, just improve, make a dent, make an impact. Um, and what it taught me was that, like Jesse said about demographics, that, or not demographics, but like millennials in terms of being something that doesn't really exist, the term social innovation or social entrepreneurship are just boxes that have been created to try and identify you know, the work that's being done in reality, we're all just making our own way. We don't want to get put in a box. Um, The stuff that I do at CJP and outside of CJP, I'm very proud of, but I wouldn't necessarily call it social innovation or social entrepreneurship. I don't know what I would call it. I wouldn't call it anything. I would call it me living my life and doing my work. Um, Mm -hmm. But I think that that's also, again, like one of those constantly evolving things like identity is that it just takes time. It takes patience. And not a lot of people have that patience to, to figure it out because life moves very quickly. That was a little rant, and I'm sorry. I like no, it. That was good. Beautiful. I think everybody, this whole conversation has been really inspiring and wonderful, and I think every single person sitting in this room right now cares about humans and mm-hmm. cares about the well-being of our our generation and the next generations to come, and I think that's a truly beautiful thing that all of these buzzwords <laughs> kind of get wrapped up in, and well, at the core of it is making the world we live in a better place, as cliche as that is. It's definitely where all of this comes from and where everyone gets their inspiration is a little different but I think leading towards positive change is always um, a beautiful thing and I think that's a very inherently Jewish thing as well as much as none of these projects are specifically Jewish projects I think Mm -hmm. there's a a beautiful connection to where we are at the core as people and as as human beings ourselves of what we're doing to move forward and I just want to thank both of you for being here today and joining us and talking about social change and social innovation and all of the buzzwords we discussed um, and making everything a little bit better and a little bit brighter. Yeah. So if you if you listeners uh, want to get involved, literally just Google it. <laughs> Use Google. Google, <laughs> Google it. <laughs> Google the shit out of the terms that you want. It's so much easier to opt in and make a difference. You don't have to sit back and just wish that you could do something. Just plug it into Google. Mm-hmm. It's so easy. Um, take part. Make a difference. Yada, yada, yada. Yes. hope you all enjoyed our conversation with Katie Greenman and Harris Rollinger on social innovation and what that means and how, if you want to get involved, the easy way to start. So if there's something you care about out there, go on the internet and search it. It is not that difficult. And as always, if you like this podcast or you like Jen and I and want to make us happy, you can subscribe on iTunes or on SoundCloud or Google Play or Spotify or Stitcher, all the di- wherever you get your podcast from, there is a way to send us both your love and attention. So please do those things. And again, if you email us at podcast at jewishboston.com, we would love your feedback and we would love to answer any questions you might have. So uh, thanks again to the uh, CJP Young Adult team and jewishboston.com for helping us do this. And Sean Fogel for our amazing music. And um, have a great whatever comes next for you out there, internet. Goodbye.
So Katie, we're so excited to have you on for the first time. We'll get to talking to Harris in a little bit, but we really want to know who you are and kind of how... <laughs> Sorry. Are you sure you that? I thought this This podcast brought to you by Apple. Okay, anyway. should I start that over? Yeah. <laughs> so that was good. 